Welcome to another episode of Becoming Unfuckwithable with your host, Mindy Harley. Warning, listening to this podcast might cause you to shatter your limited beliefs, recognize your potential, and motivate you to be the best you can be. Other side effects may include, but not limited, to grabbing life by the balls, taking no crap from anyone, becoming an unstoppable force at various aha moments to get you thinking outside the box. Hello and welcome to another episode of Becoming Unfuckwithable. We're your hosts, Mindy and Sean Harley. And, you know, without a doubt, over the last two and a half years has been a record amount of awakenings, from awakenings from the medical industry, awakenings from politics, but I think most importantly, spiritual awakenings. And everyone has been on their own journey within this last two and a half years of trying to find their path in this universe, I think. And on this episode, we're going to be diving into a lot of the topics to help bridge you from where you're at, whether it's, you know, questioning your journey, maybe you're coming from an atheist background, but we're going to really help bridge that gap and go from A to B by talking a little bit about our spiritual journeys. But not only that, we're going to be taking it to the science of spirituality and talking about things like astral projection, the blind having recollections of being able to see themselves in um, out-of-body experiences after they die. We're going to be talking about psychedelics and we're going to be talking about a little bit of uh, about, about what science knows and what they don't know. Um, their attempts at a theory of everything. Mm-hmm. Things like string theory. We're going to dive into that a little bit. Yeah, a little bit of quantum mechanics and genes. Talking about our genes as well. So Yeah. So these are things that kind of help helped us or that we came across in our own spiritual awakenings, mm-hmm. me specifically, and some of the research that I've done just to, just to try to understand the nature of reality has always been my quest, just to search yeah. for truth and unrelated to any dogma, whether scientific or religious, and just what is really going on in this universe we find ourselves in. Yeah, and just trying to piece it all together. And I think what's really awesome about this podcast is that it's going to have a little bit of both sides because Sean and I both have a different upbringing. We both have different experiences, but at the same time, our journeys have come together and we've had a lot of the awakenings on this journey together of finding a lot of this information that's helped piece together that path. Absolutely. So you want to get started with just a little bit about our own journeys? Yeah, how about you start up with yours? discovering this information? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll go first. So yeah, I grew up in a Catholic family and attended Catholic church all through childhood. My mom was a Bible school teacher and catechism teacher. And so we took it pretty serious. We weren't like hardcore adamant like some families might be. But uh, we were definitely dedicated and went to church every Sunday. And so for me personally, like growing up, I really tried to believe and I really tried to do my best as a young Catholic boy. But something with the church and just the whole setup just didn't really resonate with me. You know, I had a lot of questions that I think a lot of people have. Um, Things like, you know, in the Catholic church, you have to go to confession and say your sins so that he can give you a penance and you can be forgiven from God. And I was always like, 
why can't I just talk to God directly? You know, you want me to say my prayers every night where I'm talking to God. Why do I need a middleman, yeah. a human in here in between me and God to facilitate this conversation? And things like that, things like just the church in general. And again, I'm not taking a jab at anybody's religion. My family's still Catholic. I still go with them once in a while to church. And uh, so, you know, everybody's on their own journey here in this life. I'm just giving you a little bit of what my perspective as a child was here. And, and so another thing for me too, it just all seemed just very, just monotone and robotic, the masses. Everybody just kind of says the same phrases. Every, every mass is virtually the same. There's a, you know, a section where the priest gives his own homily that's different every time, but they follow the same kind of structure. Everything's very just robotic and monotone and uninspiring, I guess I could say too. And boring for a kid, especially. Yeah. And, um, so that's what I grew up with. Once I kind of left the house after high school and kind of went out to college, uh, I kind of just drifted away from it. I didn't really think that much about it. It wasn't a big part of my life. I wasn't like, hey, I'm leaving the church. I don't believe this anymore. It was just kind of pushed to the back burner. I would go when I'd visit my folks when I'd come home. Uh, but yeah, it just kind of faded away from me. And during that time, I was still a believer, still believed in God. And what was a big kind of turning point for me after college i moved out to california i'm living in san diego this is about 2002 when this happened the uh the boston church scandal that broke out do you remember that mm -hmm. the big pedophile ring out of the boston catholic church and it wasn't just a bad apple or two this was like a chore choreographed effort between like over 600 priests in one city that were all like involved in a ring of pedophilia and it goes all the way to the Vatican and we were finding out that they're just like a priest would get accused at one church they would just pull him out of here and move him over here where he would hurt some children over here and then put somebody else in over here and yeah. possibly up to the same thing and it was big it wasn't just a small thing and for me it just kind of blew my world apart there for a minute i'm like what like these are the guys that are supposed to be like our middleman to god and these are the you know perceived authority figures that like carry the truth mm -hmm. and you know the um the eternal uh the eternal destination of your soul you know is mm -hmm. gonna be found out through these guys and so for me it was like well this is obviously bullshit these guys aren't God's messengers, look what they're doing. And when I was at that stage too, it was just a lot of take in, as I imagine it was for a lot of people. But I was like, I don't want to be a part of this club. Like if these people are doing this, like I don't want to have my name in that. Like I want nothing to do with that. And so that's when I like officially kind of denounced Catholicism in my own life. And, um, and just to myself, you know, I wasn't like to my parents, like you guys are attending a like putting them down for still going or anything yeah. like that you know this is just in of my course. own world here and so that kind of just left me open i'm like so okay if that's not true the only version of spirituality that i've known my whole life up to that point virtually if that's not true what uh is god true at all what is true you know is there any truth and it kind of makes you think that if you've been lied to about all that you've been lied to about everything mm. you know what i mean mm -hmm. and um and that was, uh, you know, I'm just to back it up a little bit, some other questions I had when I was a child, too. I was like, okay, if this one's true, 
when I, you know, at some age you start finding out that there's actually other religions out there, and there's people that are Jewish or Muslim or Hindus or Buddhist or Nordic religions or other Asian religions or African religions, and there's just an endless amount of religions out there, you know, but we're taught that if you don't follow these strict rules right here, you're going to go to hell. Yeah. And these, um, you know, rules of Catholicism. And so that was always a question I had growing up, too. I was like, okay, I've got to follow these rules and do these things and do these rituals. But the other 95% of people in the world out here that aren't following them, that happen to not be born into a family that believed this one branch of this one branch of a religion. Yeah. And they're all going to hell, but I'm not because I was lucky enough to be born this way. And those were just other questions I had in that meantime. So anyways, bring it back up to speed now. So that left me open after discovering that, kind of leaving Catholicism, um, searching for truth, being you know a little bit confused at the time of what is real. Um, that's when I kind of discovered a different type of spirituality. Mm -hmm. And I kind of met a mentor out there in San Diego where I was living at the time. He was actually in Los Angeles. I was in San Diego, but um, he became a bit of a mentor, taught me about meditation, taught me about energy, and just taught me a little bit more about your own just personal communication with spirit. Mm -hmm. And that stuck with me for a while. And I really got into meditation and into a lot of that stuff. And then somewhere along the way, I think after I'd left California and moved back to Nebraska, you know, about four or five years later, um, just continuing my search for the nature of reality, of course, you're going to go to science, you know, what does science have to say about this stuff here? And so that's where I went, and I think that's where a lot of people go. And you get kind of caught up in what the kind of mainstream science narrative is that they really put out in the public face, mm -hmm. and these characters that they put out in the public face. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I get, you get to watch in people like Neil deGrasse Tyson, but then also I started discovering people like Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins and these scientists who would, um, at the time, there was a lot of these debates on YouTube and on the internet. And mm -hmm. these guys, these group were individuals, they were going around having debates with uh, religious people, sometimes a rabbi, sometimes a priest, sometimes whoever, pastor, whatever. Yeah. And they would have these debates with them and try to decide if God is real or not. Yeah. And they were always just extremely condescending and dismissive about anything that had to say to the contrary. But after watching these debates, I was like, yeah, these guys know what's up. They're super smart and they get it. This yeah. must be what it is. Um, you know, in hindsight now, after kind of looking back on like what their arguments were and what their conversations were, and knowing they were, what we know now. And knowing what I know now about the nature of reality and different things. And just media in general, too. And, and how media works and how science works. And, yeah, exactly. My eyes are much more open than they were at the time, for sure. Um, but, yeah, looking back now, I can see that they were kind of mostly just attacking, attacking the bad aspects of organized religion mm -hmm. and attributing that to a belief in God in general. Mm. And so, you know, if they're talking to a Catholic person up there, they're just going to mention these things that the Catholic Church did back in the day and why they're evil or yeah. why, yeah, different things happen, as I've already talked about. And um, they couldn't separate the organized religion from just a personal spirituality and a personal connection to, yeah. to spirit, you know, and I didn't realize that at the time. 
but I was reading their books and watching their debates and um, was pretty convinced that atheism was the truth and that was the way to go. And the materialistic world is all that exists. And if you can't see it and knock on it with your knuckles, then it's, it doesn't exist. Yeah. You know what I mean? A very uh, materialistic world view. And so that stayed with me for a lot of years. Um, yeah. Well, it was, it was how you were when we met in Mexico then. Yeah, 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 I was probably under that, under the influence <laughs> at that point. <laughs> under the influence, yeah. Um, and again, I, and this was just my belief, I didn't like go out and try to change other people's minds, you know. I was a personal trainer at the time, and so I would have these long conversations with people that were believers mm -hmm. and, you know, very civil about things. I would never try to laugh at them for their beliefs or anything like that, uh, but it was just where I was at. And... Um, but yeah, there's some good conversations in those days too. As a personal trainer, you're spending like one-on-one -on -one time with somebody in a very intimate situation, you yeah. know, three to four to five hours a week. And a lot of that's just pure conversation. Mm -hmm. And these are intelligent, well-to-do people that, you know, aren't, uh, aren't just an, some idiot with an opinion. <laughs> so anyways, there were some good conversations, good little mini debates back then on my own. Yeah. And little things that just kind of planted seeds here and there. Yeah. And as I just furthered that, that just research into the nature of reality, into, you know, what does science really know? And then it's um, kind of turned into what does science not know? And it turns out quite a bit. And we'll get into that a little later here yeah. as we get into those topics. Um, but it ultimately, re researching through what science had to say, what... Um, other schools of thought, philosophy, I got into Stoicism, you know, they were big on the kind of universal spirit as well. Mm -hmm. And then just that kind of intellectually got me there. And then just some personal experiences that just kind of opened up my heart and made me have that epiphany, that spiritual awakening, like in the moment like that. There was some of that too, and then yeah. it eventually happened. Yeah, well, we'll so, talk more about that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so that's where I'm at, and we'll talk about some of the things that I learned in that journey of just pursuing truth and pursuing what really is the nature of reality. And we'll talk about some of the things that, that really helped me come from that atheistic, materialistic mindset to a being open to there's more to this reality than just what we can see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And considering yourself, whew, considering yourself spiritual. And considering myself a spiritual, in a sense, yeah, a spiritual being, a spiritual being, energy being, yeah, and you know, growing up myself, my family, we didn't belong to a church or religion. Um, my mom had always said, you know, we don't need to go into a building every day to show that we, you know, believe in a source or whatever, and. There was even a time that I had an aunt want to try to take me to Sunday school and my mom was like kicking and screaming like I, should, I remember her being so mad and putting her foot down like no you're not bringing my daughter to Sunday school. Wow. You know and um, that might have even you know growing up in a, in a small town there was tons of churches and I even wonder to this day if our family not belonging to a church was kind of part of how you know I was kind of this outsider in, in a sense of being bullied and stuff too because we didn't go that normal path of going to 
you know, the Sunday school and going to a church and belonging to a church, especially with all of the Ukrainian churches in town in the end off. And I think there was more churches. I think I had, I think I ran out of fingers counting how many churches there was in that town of 5,000. Mm -hmm. But I had always considered myself, you know, that I, that I believed in something else. I believe there was a, a higher power, uh, the upbringing that I had, you know, I was allowed to have my own beliefs. I was highly into, you know, discovering other religions and uh, ways of thought, uh, Buddhism, um, Wicca. I had a boss, my high school job. He had brought me back the Satanic Bible oh. as a souvenir from New Orleans. And the same thing, I didn't read it to be like, I need to figure out Satanism. Um, it was like, let's see what these people think and why they're thinking this and this is interesting and you know my parents were never you know they, they were never spooked <laughs> you know they, they just let me figure things out and read what I wanted to and discover what I wanted to and that's always kind of how I've lived and I was interested in Wicca as I said and as I had my journey and got out of the house and you know into my 20s I had relationships though that they were very religious and then thinking that oh you're into wicca or you're into crystals <gasps> you know and it was red flag you know very very like put a kibosh on that and like really i kept that part of me muffled and stifled down i didn't really explore it i just kind of kept it to myself but in by doing that though i didn't really explore much further i just kind of had this thing of yeah there's spiritual there's something beyond yeah, I believe in a greater power, but I still didn't kind of have all these pieces. And it wasn't until I went through um, the death of my first husband that I finally had information and tools starting to come to me in my search of, you know, when you're going through a grief journey, um, you re you're really hanging on to the edge and not having that kind of uh, netting underneath you to be like, okay, this is something I do understand, or this is the process. And I was living in Mexico at the time, and the people of Mexico just had a very beautiful way of looking at things. Like, oh, don't worry, like, you'll move on, and life goes on. You know, they, they do their celebration of the Day of the Dead, and they, they honor the dead, and they had this belief system. And, you know, the woman at the gym was like, oh, it's okay, you'll find a new man right away. And I was like, oh, like, oh, could you say? Like, mm -hmm. she was like so ready for me to be, you know, just all moving on and over it already kind of yeah. thing. And I didn't have anything to really fall back on where I was like, okay. And I had friends coming with their religions and stuff and trying to give me support. And here's what we believe. And this is what's going to happen and everything. And nothing, and of course, nothing really resonated. And, and I love them for it. And I, you know, I appreciate them uh, doing that for me, but nothing really resonated. And... It was through our journey together, going through all this, and of course, I, you know, I had done psychedelics when I was 15, so I believe that that also kind of influenced my thought process about, you know, spirituality and believing in nature and a divine source. But it really wasn't until our journey together that things started to really crack open at an expedited rate as we started to learn more again about the nature of reality with all the topics out there and it becomes so glaringly obvious that you know there's there's so much more that we really don't know and that scientists don't even know you know um i think one of the 
facts is that they only really know about 5% of the, <laughs> of, the, of, the, of the universe and of our making. Mm -hmm. And the rest, you know, it's 95%, they have no clue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, it's probably a good, are you done? You want to segue yeah, no, I'm, into, I'm, uh, these, that's a great segue into starting some of these points. And so we can kind of address science, the yeah. first one. And yeah, you know, 80% of the matter in the universe is what they call dark matter. And they call it that because they don't understand it. And it's just like a hypothetical label that these scientists put on 85, 80 to 85% of the universe yeah. because they don't understand what it is. And it's, uh, you know, space isn't empty. It's full of, full of dark matter and dark energy. And between dark matter and dark energy, that makes up 95% of the known universe, mm -hmm. but they don't know what that is. So it's even yeah. hard to call it that. <laughs> so, you know, like when I was watching these scientists and these atheists back in the day, they try to come off as in like, Yes, Big Bang, evolution, we know everything, we know how yeah. everything is, we know everything about the universe. But again, they only know 5%. They can only observe 5% yeah. of the universe. Yeah. And, you know, they use this electromagnetic equipment, but that doesn't measure the dark energy and the dark matter. Mm -hmm. And so it's unobservable to them. Uh, but think about that. If, like, there's matter, matter things, hard, solid things. Yeah. 80% of it is dark matter that they don't even know what it is or what exists, you know? So it's a know, big piece of the puzzle. It's a big piece <laughs> of the puzzle. And so like if everything that we can see here, it's hard to say that this is all and this is everything yeah. because it's obviously only 5% of yeah. it. And that's including like planets and other, you know, solid material objects. Yeah. So there's a lot of Room to be, a lot of discoveries to be made in the science realm. They are far, far from like knowing everything. And, and some scientists have some humility and will admit that. Other ones act like they know everything and to question it is mm -hmm. ridiculous. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, we can get into the science and things like what Fauci says. You know, yeah. it's a good example of, you know, Fauci's up there saying, I am the science. And if you don't believe me, you don't believe the science. But over here is a group of scientists and doctors with real data from real studies that <laughs> completely disagree with what you're saying is the science. Yeah. And they're just being censored because they don't agree with you as the mainstream narrative. And so, you know, you saw it in COVID, right? So apply that to like other areas of science mm -hmm. and they all kind of fit. And the science isn't final and it goes way back in the day. I think it was um, Einstein, uh, his roommate, I can't remember the name of him, uh, but they would go back and forth on, you know, their theories and argue with each other and, you know, great, two great minds, but they wouldn't always necessarily agree. But, you know, after all was said and done, they'd get together and play their instruments together and everything. And, but they would still butt heads on their beliefs and their theories of what they're coming up with, you know? So, yeah. and it was much more debatable back then. And science was a debatable passion where everyone wanted to get to the truth but everyone sat there and tried to figure it out it wasn't just mm -hmm. you know screw you guys we're going with this at least there was still like yeah. a, a somewhat of a battling out of the of the minds yeah and einstein was the first one to say that space is not empty mm -hmm. and so obviously being the first one to say that you've got to argue with everybody else that believes it is forever and ever 
And let's say he was the first scientist to say this, but for thousands of years, spirituality and uh, different practices have been saying that forever. Yeah. Back through the ancient Egyptians that had the net, which is like the ether, which is, you know, and, um, you know, a multi-dimensional points of view from yeah. hermeticism and different things like that, too. Like, mm -hmm. they've been talking about this for thousands of years, but scientists didn't say anything about it until Einstein said space is not empty. Yeah. And then he had to argue with everybody else that held on to their old beliefs yeah. and it's just kind of insight to how science can work and so in my search for the nature of reality you and looking to see what science has to say it turns out that they don't have what they call a theory of everything and by theory of everything is like a set of rules physics that correspond uh, that work both at the micro scale and the macro scale so we have the macro scale, which is the planets and the universe and the mm -hmm. galaxies. And there we have Newtonian physics and we have gravity and we have a set of, of science that works there. On the micro scale, we have quantum mechanics and, you know, stuff down to the atom and yeah. smaller. But the rules of quantum mechanics don't apply on the macro scale. Yeah. And so they don't. And there's a new new theory coming out now called uh, quantum field theory, which I think is probably a little closer to the truth, but um, again, they don't have one yet that they consider a theory of everything. Yeah. So again, they don't know everything because they don't have a theory of everything, no. but there's a lot of kind of spiritual um, um, schools that would consolidate some of these things. Yeah. The closest they have is called string theory. String theory is like the best math that they have. And the best math that they have says that we live in a vibrational-based, multi-dimensional reality. So string theory, it unites the micro and the macro. So it's, the, again, the closest thing we have to that. String theory says that we are a vibrational-based reality. They take it all down to these small strings, these one-dimensional string objects, which are not necessarily a string made of matter but more of just a mathematical hypothesis yeah. of a you know some type of one-dimensional string take that for whatever you think it means because um, I don't think they know either and um, you know if you look at like an atom you know it's not solid you know when we think of the materialistic world we think of this coffee cup and I can knock on it and it's solid but when we look down into what is this coffee cup actually made out of atoms Atoms aren't little building blocks that just stack up next to each other <laughs> and build something solid like this tree back here. Atoms are a electron going around, or electrons going around protons and neutrons. Yeah. And now they, and, and the space difference in between those is gigantic. And 99% of that atom is empty space. Mm -hmm. And now they're even saying that some of these electrons are more of just a field of electrons and they become a physical electron when they're observed. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of gets into the double slit experiment, which we will get into here shortly. And so anyways, string theory, the best math that they have, or the best where math takes us, it takes us to a vibrational-based, multi-dimensional universe. So ten dimensions. We're in the 3D world. That means if there's a 4D world, we can't perceive it, and above that, but they can perceive us. 
Similar, similarly, if you were in a 2D world, uh, you got to use the thought experiment called Flatland. Mm -hmm. And so Flatland says, if I'm in like a 2D world, this would be a 2D world. We got direction one way and the other way, but we're missing that third dimension of up and down. So if you were a being living on this flat piece of paper here, and we had 3D people like us that are above them that can't see, when they were looking at you, if you were to come through their universe, they would just see like a slice of your body as you pass through their plane. Yeah. They, they can't perceive the whole you, right? And so that's kind of what they mean by multi-dimensional universe. Okay. And um, yeah, it gets a little more complicated, but that's probably enough for that topic. <laughs> um, and then what's in after that here? Well, the double slit experiment. So the double slit experiment. So sticking on kind of what science knows, you know, they have the famous double slit experiment. So you can look this one up. It's very interesting. But it basically says that matter can either be a particle or a wave. It's not necessarily that physical particle mm -hmm. as they once thought it was. And they did this by shooting these molecules through these two slits and then measuring on this back wall how they showed up and if they were strict or when they when they didn't observe it and they just shot these through and then looked at the results in the back wall they were waves waveforms so they were showing up on this back wall as if they were waves passing through these two slits yeah when they observed it just by sticking something on there to observe it the pattern on the back wall completely changed and they acted as if they were physical particles mm -hmm. So it's one of my favorite memes that I shared with that puppet, like the shifty eye puppet, like looking down like that, and it's like the wave being like split into the two lines. Oh yeah, and he yeah, looks and like it becomes solid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's perfect. I love that meme, but yeah, it's it's pretty crazy what um, what we just don't know yet about our universe. That it just seems like you can yeah. just take a few scientists' word for it, and that's that, right? It's a yeah. closed book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a closed mind is it's what it is. closed mind. So yeah. the double slit experiment, another just really interesting one to ponder for the atheist that uh, wants to say that we live in this materialistic solid universe. What about the double slit experiment? Yeah. What about string theory? What about that? You know, and it's, and it's divided among the scientists and you, you hear that all the time. And we've seen that obviously within the last two years about all the scientists that are getting censored and punished because they are speaking out against the narrative uh, from the what we call the paid-for science, the science with the dollar sign. And you see this everywhere. It's not just with um, the medical or with um, you know spirituality or it's down to even like climate change that, that we have scientists with opposing thoughts and theories to what exactly, is being pumped exactly. out right now. And as I was you know pursuing um, again, the search for the nature of reality, I was like, okay, here's string theory. What is the argument against string theory? Like, why isn't this the theory of everything? Mm -hmm. And when you look for that answer, you come across just these old legacy professors at colleges that have had their whole career dedicated to studying this other rule of physics, this other school of physics. And if somebody comes along and blows that away, everything they've worked for for the last 40 years has to them been a waste because it's on a set of rules that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And so if you come in with string theory, and so literally like the video I saw 
on the internet of uh, why is string theory not accepted is was a professor in his office somebody's interviewing him and they're like why don't you like string theory he's like oh string he just kind of laughed it off well it's because it's a multi-dimensional universe like it's just nonsense <laughs> and like that was his answer and like because it's multi-dimensional it's nonsense yeah not is because that... multi-dimensions can't exist because of this and this and this but it was an old professor who had been studying this other and teaching this other type of physics yeah. for the last you know 30 40 years yeah and he just can't comprehend somebody coming in here with a school of thought that differs from what he knows is to be true yeah and that, that seems to be the the opposite of everything that a scientist should be a scientist should be open to new evidence new beliefs yeah especially new new theories to go and explore that, I think a scientist should always stay hungry and on the search for new information. Yeah, there's a quote that I love from Max Planck, who is a famous physicist who won the Nobel Prize back in like 1918. He's got a quote that says, science changes one funeral at a time. And there you have it. <laughs> yes. Oh man! And uh, yeah, I think that really that, that really says it all. That really just kind of sums up that whole story there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That was even something that like God Saad had uh, touched on in his book too about the mm. professors and stuff in universities and everything. That yeah. they're just very stuck. There's no there's no battling. Them. Right before the Wright brothers invented airplanes, scientists were saying it's impossible for humans to fly. You know, yeah. before every kind of major advance in science, the old belief people said it was crazy or yeah. said it didn't work you know yeah. every single time throughout history and so for them to think now with all of our knowledge of the five percent of the observable universe that we now have it all figured out and any other point of view must be crazy it's laughable i mean look at history history tells you that you're wrong if you believe that yeah and you know and i, I think so much of it is squashed too because once you find scientists that work with and support uh the narrative um and the work and the research from big corporations, big pharma, uh, it becomes much harder to get them to, you know, budge on their previously held beliefs. And that's well, something like even, you know, uh, John Dee was one that worked with, with you know, the, the, the mystical and entities. And he was kind of the godfather, godfather in a sense of creating the scientific science. method. Scientific method. Yeah. So John Dee, who was Queen Elizabeth's personal astrologer and scientist and spy, the original 007. Original 007. And he was the, the logo behind Facebook. Mmm. That's two ball cane. Well, two ball cane. But that was like the signature, right? The signature was 007. That's where yeah, 007, 007 comes from. Oh, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Okay, just but, wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, John Dee, look this character up. You don't learn about him in school, but he was kind of basically the first one to come up with the scientific method, have a hypothesis, study it, try to repeat the results. And um, this guy was majorly into speaking to entities from other dimensions. You know, he called them angels and maybe a couple other different names. Mm -hmm. He had a personal guy that was kind of his medium that, you know, somebody that just had that natural ability to put a foot in that realm a little easier and have yeah. those conversations. But he was all into working with these other entities from other dimensions. Yeah. It was a big part of what he did. 
And again, he was kind of the father of the scientific method. So it goes way back. Um, there was something else I wanted to add in there. I don't know. We can move on here. John D. And um, and that's the other thing too. Like even with um, going back on talking about these scientists that are working with big pharma, working with large corporations. You know, there's so much about that that people just don't understand. You know, when they're getting, we're working with these corporations that they're receiving this money that's it. That's for for this research and they are going to make it so that the research comes out in a favorable outcome for the corporation that is sponsoring that research. Yeah, it's another big point for people that like thinks science is infallible and like the scientist said this, so it must be true no matter what, don't question it. Like one of the ways that science works is like they need funding, you know? Mm -hmm. They're not necessarily out here producing something for free. Yeah. They need somebody to pay the bills and to support their lab. And, you know, sometimes this is a company, sometimes it's a government. And whoever is paying that bill has an outcome that they want to see from this science. And if you're producing them a different outcome than they want to see, they're probably going to stop paying your bills. Yep. And it's a big thing in climate studies, especially. And, you know, the... As uh, most recent as the Alzheimer's. There's that famous clip of the founder from the Weather Channel talking on a CNN interview, I think, with Brian Stelter. Yeah. And he lays it out perfectly about how Brian Stelter's like, well, 95% of climate scientists believe in climate change. And he's like, they believe in getting paid. Like, this is how it works. <laughs> yeah. The government gives out, like, $16 billion to study climate change. But if you go against their narrative, you don't get a dime of that. Yeah. And so if you want a piece of this $16 billion, you've got yeah. to toe the line and you've got to tell them what they want to hear. Yeah. And if you don't, you're out the door that's and a, you're out of a job. That's a big, big truth. Yeah. That, you know, we, we really just have to understand it's, it comes down, it's business, baby. Like mm -hmm. we see it in nutritional science, you know, supplement world all the time. Yeah. 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 So I and think like, that's a very big point for people that are just in the religion of science <laughs> to <yeah>. understand. <laughs> yeah. You know, and like, again, most recently with the, all the Alzheimer's research has shown that all of that information was fudged. So everything that we know between like Alzheimer's, depression and all the pills that they've been prescribing for it. Yeah. All based on false fudged research because pharmaceutical companies were paying for research so they could sell these drugs these alzheimer drugs these depression drugs that they've been peddling for the last however many decades yeah. tens of tens of years and that should be bigger news and one day it's all bullshit yeah yeah and how many people do we know uh <coughs> have alzheimer's i'm pretty sure everyone knows someone that has alzheimer's there's got to be at least a two degree yeah i think shit like alzheimer's is very unfortunate. Like, yeah. just in my study, when I'm looking at supplements, you know, I own a supplement company, so I'm just looking at what different supplements do. There's all kinds of supplements that help with Alzheimer's, just mm -hmm. natural supplements, but you don't hear about them. Yeah, we and do. yeah, you know, they want to sell you these drugs. Yeah. And what they just find out, these drugs that they're selling don't work. And that's not even how Alzheimer's works, where yeah. these drugs go. Yeah. And so, understand, there's somebody paying the bills on the science. 
And if you don't toe the line to what that, that group wants you to say, you're not going to get published. You're not going to get any money, yep. et cetera. Oh, yeah. And we know it was, you know, the, the Rockefellers and that ruined that for the medical industry. Yeah, and basically yeah. made anything natural or herbal uh, quackery and, and mm -hmm. switched it all to a petroleum-based market. So, I mean, Yeah, a big part of that puzzle for everybody needs to understand. And you should go out and learn this, how the Rockefellers started the or took over the medical schools mm -hmm. took over basically and started the pharmaceutical industry with petroleum products after his petroleum monopoly was was getting separated a little bit yeah he needed a new way to sell this petroleum found out they can make drugs with this stuff and then from there used his money to kind of take over all of the medical schools he commissioned this thing called the flexner report was which was this guy that went out and any doctor that was selling homeopathic medicine, as they had been doing through the history of man <laughs> yeah. for thousands of years, these medicines, these natural remedies that have been working, these Chinese remedies that yeah. you know from all over the world, they have different remedies that they've been using, shaman, shaman kind of medicines. Anybody using anything natural was quackery, and they were blacklisted out mm -hmm. of the medical community. You yeah. know, they started the American Medical Association or whatever. And you can't be part of that unless you're towing the line and, and following yeah. what we do, else we'll uh, yeah. ruin your career. You know, and they were the ones that even started, you know, the American Cancer Foundation because then it found out like American they're Heart doing all the American, yeah, well, like the Cancer Foundation both. for like, yeah, for both. That even that, that that's a big scam in and of itself, you know. So there's a lot, there's a lot of, there's a lot of unlearning and relearning to do in this journey. But you know, the the big part of it is, you know, it's not our fault. They've done a very good job at. You know, keeping everybody um, wrapped up into the hamster wheel of life, and a lot of the knowledge has been purposely suppressed from us. That yes. you know, it's really they rely they're relying on our ignorance. You know, they want us divided, dumb, and dependent is what I say. And this is true when it comes to health, pharmaceutical versus natural remedies, and it's true when it comes to spirituality too. Yeah, big like time. there's some truths that have been occulted which means hidden you yeah know? they they hide the truth from us yeah to take away our power to keep us weak independence and to you know have slaves and make money at the end of the day yeah because here's the thing being spiritual and this was kind of outlined this was a great book that i read um gosh is it going on two years still already uh the god gene and this book here it talks about how our spirituality is actually um, heritable and it's part of our genome makeup and it's the, the VMAT2 gene. And so some people don't have it, but some people do and they study twins and stuff and depending on environment and circumstance and upbringing and all this. But it was very interesting because this gene uh, actually promotes within the person their ability to have, you know, maybe empathy or be more in tune with nature or ha be more prone to finding the spiritual beauty or this, this essence in life um, that actually helps to give us hope and optimism and fortitude in hard times, okay? And what's really interesting about that is that, you know, the, in order to 
figure out whether or not this person has this gene, they have to do the genome sequencing. And they actually do this with the PCR tests, which is very interesting because PCR tests were widely used over the last two and a half years, which we know that they don't actually do what they're, they're not being used in the way that they're supposed to be used. They can't tell if you have corona, obviously. I mean, no. look at uh, Kerry Mullis, the inventor of the PCR test. He says this test is not to diagnose if you have a virus or yeah. an illness. Yeah, and like, he was... not how it works. And and he talks shit about Fauci all the time. Yeah, he was very, very vocal about the, the corrupt medical industry and Fauci and unfortunately passed away. Uh, passed early. away, passed right? Passed away. 2019, 2019. right? Before the, the pandemic. Um, I mean... But it's interesting to note that the PCR test is actually what they use to find out whether or not this person has the VMAT2 gene. And to me, I feel like this is something when they talk about, you know, um, you know with CRISPR-Cas9 and gene editing, this is to me where I'm thinking, I'm like, are they trying to actually, you know, breed this out of the human race? Because they don't want people that are spiritually sound or connected to their spirituality, their sovereignty, their authentic self that stand in their power, um, when you don't have that, again, spiritual netting, I'll call it, you are much more easier controlled by that materialistic science view of these are, you know, your marching orders, and this is how life is, and you're much more easier to um, manipulate in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. And... Um... You know, there's a video of like, uh, looks like maybe some Pentagon or CIA presentation where the yeah. scientist is up there talking about how for these radical religious groups, we can give them some type of vaccine that would <laughs> inhibit their VMAT2 gene yeah. and they wouldn't have these religious views anymore and they would be better and yeah. so more controllable and they would be fighting for their side yeah and they, and they say that you know and they they come up with these reasons like oh we'll use it for war oh we'll use it for this but i mean that's what they tell the public but the other part of like what they really want to use it for and as we've seen before they don't tell people about the ingredients in in vaccines and procedures or what they're doing like look at like bill gates where you know the the gavi situation and everything where you know he sterilized all those women um and children and so they don't tell you about these things but that video too that was going around you know of course routers went and debunked it saying that oh it's not true and da, 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 da. well they, um, they debunk a fake things like people <laughs> saying bill gates was giving this presentation and that's not bill gates it's yeah, false yeah it's but like okay so it's some other dude it's not bill gates yeah but. And the other and the other guy that went and debunked it, you know, it was really funny. He's just the all he is. I went and, like looked him up. He uh, worked on like the Tony Hawk video games, and he just happened to start up this you know website, and that's the official. He's the other the, between routers and him are the official debunkers. So some like guy that was working you know in Santa Monica on the Tony Hawk video game started this website and all of a sudden he's the official voice I'm like okay oh, wow. but when you watch the video though um, you can tell just between the the cadence the questioning the pattern interrupt this is very skilled this would be something that like a you know as far as if it being actors in a setup type of thing it would have to be like a George Clooney you know a Tom Cruise that are very good on there timing as you and i know from acting class to be able to do that naturally yeah. that video was a very, very natural authentic. authentic 
piece of content and yeah the what that's what you know fact checkers will do they'll go and nitpick on these other you know oh it was bill gates or oh it's actually the pentagon or no it's not the pentagon it's they'll they'll make up a story that people aren't even saying and say that's false yeah and but then your fact checker will link that on everything about that whole topic yeah so i mean the idiots will be like well it's been fact checked and said it's false and they won't think twice about it but people are waking up to that most of us are. are Most of us are. a lot of uh, sheeple out there that just won't wake up in this lifetime. And that's part of their journey. Part of their journey. They're going to have to live that life and the consequences of it. But for the rest of us, you know, we're seeing like routers fact check, like look at the COVID misinformation. Like you can see something's blatantly true. And here's a router's fact checks telling you that it's not yeah. or that some aspect of it is not. Well, we know and the routers. Um, I mean, it's all bullshit. It was the, you know, the ex, the ex-Pfizer guy mm-hmm. was routers. And, you know, Mark Zuckerberg already had to say in court that their fact checkers are nothing but the opinions of the people working behind the computer screen. So they are not an official an official governing right. body, which I mean, if that actually came down to it, then there should be a list of rules and topics that I shouldn't talk about because it shouldn't be like walking on a landmine to know which one of my posts is going to set something off and I get blocked for seven days. Yeah. But that's going a little off topic on that. Yeah. But, all but the part fact of- that you can see they can have doctors presenting data from scientific studies and that will get like fact checked or censored by these, yeah. by some dipshit sitting behind a computer yeah like the harvard study 22 year old journalist or something that says yeah. that doesn't go against the narrative we gotta fact it's check not. that yeah you know yeah. um it's it's just ridiculous but it just all goes into you know there's so there's so much that we don't know that we don't know yeah <laughs> and that even takes us you know a little bit into like your experiences here recently and playing into you know our journey you know, we've done psychedelics, which have been integral for opening your eyes, which is still a very taboo topic. And with psychedelics, like cracking open that spirituality and having those moments, um, it's it's all adding up to it. And there's other things that have going on. You know, uh, CERN was in the news this year as well with quantum mechanics. Uh, the D-Wave computer. So let's talk about that. Well, yeah, I mean, that's just, just to touch on it real quick, we probably won't spend too much time on it, but just that the fact that we live in a multi-dimensional universe, you mm-hmm. can hear people from these companies, D-Wave and from CERN, talking about how they're working with these other dimensions to achieve their ends. And yeah. one is like quantum computing and is the D-Wave, and he talks about we're popping into other dimensions and stuff like that. So... You know, there's aspects of science that, like, work with these other dimensions, but still you've got these old guard scientists saying that it's ridiculous and it can't be true because it's not what they've been teaching for the last 40 years. Yeah. So there's that. So anyways, moving along here to the next topic um, that is another really interesting school or uh, just topic for me. I find it very interesting. And it's something that really helped, again, open my mind and come out of that materialistic worldview and help ponder that there might be more to this reality than what meets the eye. And that is near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences. And a big um, piece of the puzzle for me was found in the book called Mindsight, Near-Death and Out-of-Body Experiences in the Blind. And so that's a book. It's more of a research paper turned into a book by these two researchers who 
wanted to study near-death and out-of-body experiences in the blind. And yep. so they went out and found everybody that met a certain criteria. I think there ended up being like 30-some blind people that they interviewed and kind of studied for this project. And these people either had one or multiple near-death or out-of-body experiences in which they could suddenly see. And for instance, one gal had, uh, she's been blind since birth. She had two near-death experiences. I forget what the first one is at a younger age, but then at an older age, she got in a car wreck and she could like recall everything that happened in this, or no, I'm sorry, she got in a car wreck, she went to the hospital. Okay. And as she's laying on the operating table at the hospital, she had this out-of-body experience where she could like see everything in the room and colors and people, and not just like see them from one vantage point, she was seeing like all angles of everything at once. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and that's why they kind of called it yeah. mind sight. Yeah. And um, they were able to verify this with the other people that were in the room, the doctors and people that yeah. were in there. And she's like, I saw this doctor come in through this door and grab this thing from this person and come over to my body. And she's looking at her own body there. So she's not and only like dead, but she's also technically blind. And blind. she's able to see all right. this. And she's never seen this stuff in her life before. Yeah. Like she doesn't even know what she's looking at or never seen colors. And then she goes on to fly out of the hospital roof and out into the world and then even up higher into another dimension where she's seeing other entities. And so that's just one of like 30 some case studies. But there's, you know, study after study. And they take a very scientific approach to this too. Like they try to figure out why any other explanation possible for yeah. this person giving <laughs> Any, this verified anything story. But <laughs> yeah, so they, they give it a very scientific approach to uh, to the topic, and that's why I think it's a good resource for people, again, that have that kind of atheistic, materialistic worldview that are, like, hardcore into the science. Read the book, Mindsight, Near-Death and Antibiotic Experiences in the Blind, because it's a scientific approach that that proves in my opinion proves that we have our consciousness can leave our body and and um you know experience yeah. the other dimensions and world outside the physical body and so yeah and uh, and that along with my own personal out-of-body experiences mm -hmm. and the study of other people's out-of-body experiences especially robert monroe and so he was kind of the godfather of the modern out-of-body experience school, yeah. you know, that goes back way before. You study all, not all, but most, um, all the way to Egypt and these other ancient religions. And most of these are have instruction manuals, basically, of how to have out-of-body experiences. Mm -hmm. And most of them were about traveling out of the body. There's stuff in the Bible that talks about it. And um, I think, you know, probably most, if not all, religions have a, a foot in that world. And it's a, you know, and to me, like, if that's true and you can leave your body and go explore, it seems like it might be one of the most important things yeah. <laughs> that we could ever imagine. Yeah. And Who cares about, you know, VR when you can yeah. travel outside your body? <laughs> right. And travel outside your body and not just locally, but experience other dimensions, other worlds, other planets in the 3D realm, but also in other dimensional beings and worlds as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think one of the most important things we can learn here is 
how to control our thoughts and our energy so that when we go into that space, we're able to control our thoughts and our energy because it's a thought-based, mental-based yeah. world there. You have a thought, you create that thing. You have a fear, you create that thing. You want to go somewhere else, you do it with your thought. You know, mm-hmm. It's a thought-based mental universe, as they say in the Kabbalion. Yeah. And um, if you look at, yeah, and Bob Monroe is kind of, again, the modern day, he's dead now, but uh, modern day godfather of all the out-of-body travel world. And so if you don't know who Bob Monroe is, he was a very well-to-do radio executive. And he started spontaneously having these out-of-body experiences. And he didn't know what was going on, and it scared the crap out of him. And he started talking to his friends that were doctors and psychiatrists and psychologists and these other professionals. And he wanted to make sure he wasn't dying or there was something wrong with him because he had no idea what was happening. And so he kind of set off on his own journey just to discover what was going on here. And once he realized, and so he journaled all this stuff and he wrote a couple books. Journeys Out of the Body was his first one. And then he has uh, like two other books after that, both really profound books highly recommend them you can listen to them for free on youtube um ultimate journeys was the other one and i forget what the third book is but check out bob monroe's books if you want to explore this topic very fascinating stuff and so he ended up hiring a physicist a guy by the name of i forget what his name was tom campbell look him up phd guy that worked with bob monroe Bob Monroe built this lab to study this, and he found a physicist and this other guy that was from like Army Intelligence mm-hmm. that was there that ran through his CIA program, and they brought him in to help study this stuff and uh, do like the hard research on it. And so, watch some videos of Tom Campbell talk. Very intelligent uh, physicist who has studied out of body experiences with Bob Monroe at the Monroe Institute. Yeah. And so some pretty hard evidence, I think, that it's very real. Well, yeah. And I mean, if the CIA was running their own with their own programs, too. Yeah. Um, With remote viewing and everything like. Yeah. Look up the uh, the gateway experience or the gateway project from the CIA. So there's there's a document on CIA.gov that was a from the army, actually. And the Army sent guys to the Monroe Institute to study out-of-body travel because they had to see if this is something that we need to use in our defense. Is this something the enemy's using already that we mm-hmm. need to know about so we can prepare for it? And uh, turns out yes and yes. Um, so anyways, they wrote a report that is just absolutely fascinating. And it's about a 35-page document that you can find on CIA.gov if you just look up CIA Monroe Institute Gateway Experience. And in the document, he's basically explaining the science and understanding behind this. And not just is it real or not, because to him it definitely was, and here's why. Mm -hmm. And he explains a lot of that throughout that document. And he goes into the nature of reality and describes this holographic universe, which is absolutely fascinating too. And holographic meaning like the interference pattern of different energy fields. Mm-hmm. which again quantum field theory is coming out now and they're kind of saying the same thing yeah. it's like the latest school of thought since quantum mechanics and again as science kind of catches up with like what other things knew they kind yeah. of start keep proving this stuff more and more <laughs> it's like state-sponsored science and there's science <laughs> yeah yeah 
and, and there's um, science. So anyways, yeah, near-death and out-of-body experiences, I think, to me, is really good proof. And again, you're materialistic, who's never, who's not on that vibe, who can't phantom it, will dismiss it right away. But I asked them to read the CIA.gov report. Tell me, do you think this is an unserious person writing this document that is just crazy and just in some fantasy world writing yeah, all this? You think Bob CIA? Monroe and the scientists he was working with were completely... Off the rocker. Off the rocker in fantasy land. And doing know? this and all yeah. their accounts. I mean, so much that, you know, the United States government goes and spends money on this. The, on this, on remote viewing. Yeah. On, you know, there's the Third Eye Spies documentary. There's the George Clooney show, uh, Men Who Stare at Goats. And I haven't seen either of those. Okay, yeah. Well, the Men Who Stare at Goats <laughs> is like them controlling the narrative yeah. and putting it out there like these were just some crazy hippies they hired oh, yeah. to Go see figure. if they could do anything yeah. with their mental powers. And it's all kind of a gag. But in reality, they spent millions of dollars on this and likely still do. Yeah. And they studied um, the Stargate project. Look that up. It's the remote viewing aspects of the military spending uh the movie third eye spies I, I think is that the movie that's about that topic yeah i believe so up, yeah yeah and so our government spends millions of dollars and has been doing this stuff for decades yeah and um again if you think they're all just unserious people that are living in fantasy land because they're doing this i don't know what to tell you yeah and not yeah. only that like the even the movies like so the third eye spies and stuff um any kind of movie that touches on government programs and everything, there's in the army and whatnot, like there's an official government person on the film set too, directing what they can and cannot say in the movie and directing the script as yeah. such too. So I mean. Sean Stone's got a really good documentary about that. What's it called? Hollywood. Something? Hollywood DC. Hollywood DC. Yeah. So any of your cia las vegas or whatever these i don't even know what the names of these shows are <laughs> but any yeah, of those yeah. shows that show like some type of federal law enforcement agency there's there's numbers of tv shows about this right miami yeah. las vegas csi csi yeah um, but all those shows any show that has a fbi agent or a csi agent or a cia agent that means on that set they have a cia agent or a real fbi agent on the set making sure that the information they put out there goes forward with the narrative that they want to be perceived as mm -hmm. and they don't give up any real facts that they don't want out there yeah and that's hollywood folks <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> hollywood folks yeah yeah okay so moving on from the near-death experiences and stuff other reasons we have the uh the institute of noetic sciences is another really interesting uh, facility where they study the science of just different psychic and mental powers. Yeah, and I think they're based in California. And the gentleman who started that, he was actually an astronaut as well. Edgar, Edgar Mitchell? Yeah. Edgar Mitchell? So, I mean, I follow their account on Instagram. Mm. I really like what they what they put out. Yeah, there's the uh, the Dean Radin is the other yeah. Radin, right? The other researcher there. And they do some really interesting stuff, basically proving that your mental powers can influence outside events yeah and other i think they do remote viewing stuff there too yeah. and a lot of they really study the science behind the this stuff too and everything right yeah. again yeah. so again for a science-minded person go look at the institute of noetic sciences like here's your science proving 
that there's more than this physical reality yeah. <laughs> and that we can extend our consciousness beyond our physical bodies. Like there is, they make it sound like there's no science proving that, you know, but yeah. Yeah, there is, you just don't hear about it on the nine o'clock news. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. So, so then we're, now we're going through the journey and I think it was obviously when we were in California, I don't know if it was when our, our visits or finally when we settled into, I think it was when we settled into California, but being in Venice Beach area, we came across to um, this mural, and it was just on the cusp of us finding a, another ism, but uh, pantheism. We came across this mural, the Luminaries of Pantheism. The Luminaries of Pantheism, to, right on Venice Beach. Yeah, and this was pretty interesting, and it uh, showcased a lot of um, public figures and scientists and authors that uh, identified as pantheists. Who are some of the names uh, on that wall? Carl Sagan, Terence McKenna, Rumi, um, Nikola Albert Tesla, Einstein, Nikola Tesla, Frederick Nietzsche, Carl Jung, um, Ralph Waldo Emerson, yeah, uh, Adi uh, Shankara, yeah, um, Rumi, Lao Tzu, Emily Dickinson, there's a lot. So on really that. big names. It's a huge mural on the side of a building at Venice Beach. Yeah. And so it's very eye-catching and it's put there by the local pantheism yeah, they, society guy, or group or whoever like, they are promoting yeah, some it. Some guy won a, an award or something or it was Yeah. yeah it was I think just trying contest. to raise awareness of this yeah. school of thought. And it's very interesting because I ran that school of thought and with pantheism it kind of connects with it. it's more like it's a, it's a nature based and it's connected through nature and it's it is more kind of like a spiritual science <laughs> it is, in yeah a sense. well pantheum is is like uh basically like everything is god there's a intelligent impermanent yeah in, running through everything force yeah intelligent energy basically running through everything and um uh there's different religions and schools of thoughts that have been saying this for thousands of years mm -hmm. you know like stoicism has numa which kind of means that same thing. Um, there's also prana and chi. Yeah. And they all kind of allude to the same kind of intelligent life force that impermeates everything. Yeah. And um, for me, that was uh, just another big kind of aha moment. This is when I'm just kind of coming out of this kind of atheistic phase. I'm starting to dip my toe back into the waters, and then I see this. I'm like, oh, you mean... God doesn't have to be the old man on the cloud judging everybody, saying, you're going to hell, you're going to heaven, you made me jealous, you did this, <laughs> you pissed me off with these egotistical traits that we find in man and humans. Yeah. And I was like, oh, so that there's, there's other definitions of God or other ways to think perceive of, God perceive as. of or think of yeah. God. And... Um, yeah, again, for me, that was just kind of a big aha moment. And it, it's, I was already reading Stoic philosophy. I had read about oh, yeah. chi reading, energy. Yeah. I've read, you know, different philosophies from all over the world. And they've all got this kind of intelligent energy, this intelligent life force. And so for me, that really clicked. And I'm like, okay, so it doesn't have to be this or that, as the atheist or the Catholic might tell you. Mm -hmm. There's a other interpretation and that interpretation seems to go along a lot better with 
a lot of ancient knowledge and a lot of ancient uh, and different philosophies that I have already yeah. read. And it's yeah. interesting too, because I, I threw around that, you know, the pantheism uh, idea around to a couple of people and us, and they, and I wouldn't say that, I, that they are atheists, but they definitely don't um, identify with religion and they haven't really given, they're not probably too spiritual. Yeah. And I think it was a real shocker to them that there was this other um, sort of belief system around, again, you know, source, chi, energy, but really helping to connect and, and bridge that gap mm -hmm. for people. And it was really interesting because, yeah, this is, it wasn't on people's radar at all. Like, pantheism? What? That's new. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> and that's know? why I feel like even just when you say God or the definition of God, everybody in their own mind, when they hear God, the atheist thinks this and the yeah. Catholic thinks this and the Hindu thinks this. And um, so, I mean, that term, I just... I don't. I don't like how it has such a uh, different meaning for everybody. Yeah, it's, it's such a kind of odd term. And I think that's a big sticking point for a lot of people, or like a trigger for people, or, or yeah. why they shun away from religion, or don't want to, or don't want to get attached to that. Because all of a sudden they think like, oh, like they think like they could think of you know the the pedophiles in the Catholic Church, or they think about their horrible experience growing up as a child, maybe, you know, um, having having to go to church and, and not liking it, or what have you, or um, you know, the, whether or not what part of their journey they've been on, they've had some sort of headbutting with the church in their life. And all of a sudden then when they hear God, they're like, la, 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 no, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. But there's a, there's a deeper meaning to yeah. it when you kind of push that sludge away and you're like, oh, right. this could mean something else. And if people saw it that way and see it as this way of inherently connecting us to you know, we, we are just as beautiful and as complicated as, you know, that tree over there that knows how to protect itself from these bugs and this fire, and it's designed intelligently, and those two bugs over there help out. Like, we are built and made um, as these intelligent beings, and everything around us is intelligent in its own unique right as well. Mm -hmm. So there's something very, of course, special and beautiful about that. Yeah, absolutely. The mental universe. Yeah. But when you're stuck on God must be this thing man with human the, traits yeah, that man on the throne. is angry and jealous and et cetera, and you're stuck with that mindset, I can see how you would become atheist because that's what turned me, you know, yeah. part of it. And I'm like, well, that can't be true. And so if that's not true, there must be nothing at all. <laughs> yeah. And when you are stuck in that mindset, then you hear about near-death or out-of-body experiences and you hear about multi-dimensions and you just have this wall up saying well that can't be true because there is no god and yeah. that's it yeah but if you change your definition of god and realize that there's other ways to look at god yeah then you can really open your mind and i think get closer to the truth mm -hmm. no absolutely i really feel the same and it's something too like i remember even us early on um, in our relationship, of course, you obviously being, you know, eight, more atheist uh, identifying back then. And I remember a scene on the news uh, about a recent poll saying that, um, you know, more Americans now don't identify as religious. And of course, we didn't really, you know, back then we were kind of like, woo, kind of thing. Like, but now thinking about that, does it mean that more people are identifying as atheists or would that mean that now more people are identifying as spiritual? But it's kind of interesting because again, they want 
I really feel like they really want that disconnect from the spiritual self with people and they inherently know like that's a part of our our path on this earth and it has been very nurtured of course obviously centuries ago going way back uh in time that it seems a part of us that's been lost yeah i think that's kind of a purpose of a lot of organized religions is they say you've got to come here and listen to this middleman they don't teach you about your just own personal connection and growing that and yeah. living that in your day moment to, day. to moment day yeah. to day it's go in on sunday or saturday and listen to the middleman yeah and um I think they take away a lot of your just personal power and stuff like that. I mean, if you look at like how the Catholic or not Catholic Church, but uh, like the Council of Nicaea and how they put together the Bible, and it was basically the pagan Romans who like um, King Constable, right, was a pagan his whole life and decided he was going to be Christian and like we got to have a Christian country now. Let's put this book together, and it was strictly a control thing. Yeah. I mean, it's really obvious to anybody that looks at history, and. Um, before that, it was other religions controlling whatever other populace. You know, you look at uh, Alexander the Great, he talks about how he would go conquer a land and he would basically have the priest of that local belief system introduce mm -hmm. him to the people so that he, and he wouldn't say, you've got to believe this new religion now that I'm your king. It's yeah. like, keep believing this. And the priest basically anoint me as your new god of that religion or you know yeah. it's the top of that religion the, the priest king of that religion and so you know he saw it as a way to control people from everywhere he went you know conquering land after land yeah and just using their own religion they've already got to control them with so yeah you know like uh, all those yeah. practices and all those rites from like way back then and even way back then they were using psychedelics in their practices and rituals you know if we're talking like centuries ago hmm. You know, and that was something obviously like Marcus Aurelius was involved in as well, and partaking in you know the the, the uh, what was all what was all in that the the, the mysteries that elucid yeah uh, but basically drinking a ayahuasca type brew or wine or you know yeah, a psychedelic was... type wine that would let you die before you die yeah. and experience the other realm before you actually die. Yeah. You know, and again, I think that's really one of our purposes in life is to understand that. So, again, if you read the Robert Monroe books, you'll kind of understand this, but also understanding the principles of Elucid and um, Ayahuasca, Ayahuasca and Psychedelics, which we'll get into here a little bit more. Um, they give you a chance to know what to do in that other realm or to experience it, because if you don't know what to do, when you get there, you're going to be caught up in this material yeah. cycle of reincarnation. And Which is a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah. So we can get into that. Oh, my goodness. Other podcast itself. But yeah. just the research I've done, which is a lot, that's it's just led me to believe that. And so, yeah, we won't go too deep down yeah, that right now. Yeah, we won't go too but, deep on that. But, yeah. But that's a good segue into psychedelic experiences. Mm -hmm. And so um, you want to go ahead and start that one? Yeah. Well, I mean... For me, personally, I, I really do believe that, yeah, psychedelic use um, helps us expand our consciousness and it's kind of a, a cracking open that we are able to have that relationship with this other side and experience a 
another realm and develop a deeper relationship um, with nature, with our humans, with our with our fellow humans, with ourselves. And it's I really feel it's it's a cracking open and it's a reformation of you know of, of our consciousness and in our mind by partaking in these um, sacred plants and entheogens that we are able to you know use these as tools to develop our spiritual path as well and it's not you know and not everyone needs to do psychedelics it's not for for everybody i mean you could definitely have your own spiritual path journey without them but i there's something really special to say about psychedelics in the way that they can just make everything click at once and yeah. i and i mean i've had i said earlier like my first time with you know mushrooms was when i was 15 years old mm -hmm. and you know, I've had a journey with all different types of psychedelics and to me it's just been part of my life and I think maybe I take that for granted in a sense of how it's just helped me have a, a different understanding or a, um, a different perspective of the world around me and how I was operating that you know things fell in line for me the way that they did. Yeah absolutely psychedelics for me was another big just kind of eye-opening thing that helped lead me away from the materialistic world into a spiritual world and before I even tried any of them like just studying them reading Graham Hancock he's got some really good books on the topic uh, learning about uh, Terence McKenna and um, learning about ayahuasca you know Joe Rogan's spirit molecule documentary from back in the day Mm. Uh, but just learning about other people's experience with ayahuasca, DMT, mushrooms, things like that. And it's like, and, and then you can get into the history of that. You can read the Immortality Key and see how psychedelics go way back and maybe were the basis of a lot of religions. Yeah. And people like Marcus Aurelius like thought it was a very important thing. Yep. And <laughs> all of the kind of like world leaders would go to this one place and have this psychedelic experience and die before they die and um and yeah and come out of there like a total like, reinitiated and like ready to like live your life and ready to die too and move on and yeah. not be scared of death anymore and obviously which i just want to quickly add it, why i think it's just a big farce why ryan holiday the author of um the, the stoic or whatever went and put a face diaper on Marcus Aurelius. That I was like, if you knew anything about Marcus Aurelius, <laughs> you would not have a face mask on yeah. like that. Tell me you're pushing propaganda without pushing propaganda. Right. You know, because it's all like, respect for that guy. I know. Because it's just like, when I saw that, I was like, you don't even know. Like, Marcus Aurelius was like protecting this site and this ritual and this rite of passage yeah. and believed in it so thoroughly like i mean that's where you go to die before you die so you can come back and be like sup bitches yeah you the know place, the place got <laughs> vandalized once and so marcus aurelius had a huge stone bust of himself yeah put there to guard this place yeah to say anybody's gonna come around here and fuck with this you're gonna be fucking with marcus aurelius yeah. bitch and then like and ryan holiday puts a fucking diaper on that guy's yeah. bust what a shame what a shame so yeah, anyways just learning about the history of psychedelics the experiences that people have on psychedelics again this is before even touching any of this stuff myself was already kind of bringing me around to believe that there's a spiritual realm there's other dimensions there's other yeah. entities you know out there 
And then once I had my own experiences, it's like it just kind of changes the tune of your vibration. Did I pop your and cherries? <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> and, um, you know, if you understand that everything, that this is a vibrational-based world that we live in and everything is vibration, everything is vibration. A color is vibration. Um, everything. Thought is vibration. This coffee cup is vibration. Everything is vibration. Dimensions are a vibration. And so once you understand how these, these medicines can kind of tune your vibration and you can tune into these other levels of reality mm -hmm. or experience or observation or however you want to say it. Yeah. Yeah. And so once I kind of dip my toe in that water and, and eventually gain some experience in that water, mm -hmm. um, I think my vibrational tune changed and I was on a higher vibe and more open to experience these things. Got retuned. Got, Got retuned. Got yeah. tuned up. And, um, yeah, we could go into more about vibration stuff here, but... But I think even just adding on to that, like, with vibration and energy and you know, just even, like, heart connection. Like, there's, you know, the, the heart math. What's it, what it called? Heart Math. Heart Math Institute. Institute. Yeah. yeah. Another place that is doing a lot of science on kind of the biofield and the field of energy that our heart and our brains put out that extends well beyond our body. Yeah. What? Six feet to be exact. Six feet, <laughs> typically, minimum. Six feet. Which you is know. strange. They picked that number for social distance. Yeah. But again, this is stuff that they have like measured and proven, and they know that your heart puts out this. Yeah. toroidal type energy field around you and your brain puts out this and it's your brain and heart connect and yeah. kind of influence another field mm -hmm. and uh, it's all very well proven I think uh, Heart Math Institute is another thing to show the materialistic person yeah. if they uh, you need some evidence to believe that there's more to this physical body and that our consciousness and thought can extend beyond our physical body. Yeah. I and think it, they prove a lot of that. Yeah. And, you know, and our consciousness and thought, and I think it's Joe Dispenza that works with the heart math, um, Institute as well, like doing his, um, brain hookups with, um, their work with meditation mm. and everything and how, you know, thoughts and energy, um, you know, we can change our, our genes with epigenetic through epigenetics, mm -hmm. how we, uh, if we change the way we think, we change our environment. We're able to upgrade our our genes, our DNA, and you know these these problems that we've had disappear. You know, and that's just a, and that's a whole other topic on itself. But it's just paying respect to the things that we don't necessarily cannot necessarily see, whether it be the um, the tor toroidal um, energy of our heart. You know, the the the, the atoms together in the cup. It's like there's just so much more to that that we just don't understand. Yeah. But it's it is creating something and it's there and it exists. Yeah. You yeah. Know? The fact that they can measure your brain by putting things outside your head. Yeah. And measure what's going on inside your head. <laughs> that should tell you that the things inside your head are extending beyond your skull and yeah. beyond your physical body. Yeah. So it's very yeah. it's it's very interesting stuff to say the least. Mm -hmm. With that. But, um, you know, again, all this kind of knowledge we haven't had. And when I say that again, you know, it's not our fault. Law, this is occulted knowledge where it's been kept from us on purpose. Yeah, and that brings us to, I think, the next point. Again, in my journey here now, studying the nature of reality, 
um, understanding what some of the elites over history have believed and mm -hmm. kind of what they're into. And they are really into a spiritual realm, a multidimensional realm, into other entities that they may talk with and work with. Yeah. And, you know, we're kind of getting into things that some of us may consider evil or, or negative. Mm -hmm. And but these are like very real to some very successful, well to do people. Yeah. And they take it very seriously and um, they may not be public with it, but if you kind of know what you're looking at and do enough research, you can understand like what these people worship and what they, they the ceremonies they have and where that all stems from, mm -hmm. you know. And as I was going through, um, I think the political awakening of 2020 that a lot of people went into as we discover this elite class and these secret societies that are like behind a lot of uh, the influence going around the world. All the influence around the world. <laughs> yeah. Like the people running the world, literally. Yeah. Like they are into some of this stuff. And like if it's that real to these powerful people, maybe there is something there. Right? Yeah. And it's one of those things yeah. that even as, as crazy as we think it could be here, the average person thinks it is, uh, the fact of the matter is, is that these people actually believe it's real and do practice it. So... Mm -hmm. that's something to really chew on and be like okay like you can't really discount it right you can't discount it yeah look at like an Aleister Crowley type and he was like a huge influence he's in with all this stars of the day all the celebrities on the Beatles record album yeah he's like the main kind of priest guy in the occult world yeah that all these celebrities and political figures and other people were into everybody in that and scene. yeah and Aleister Crowley like he's into sex magic he's into uh, I read a book of his online about how he's into summoning spirits and working with these other entities yeah and you can go find his work online and read his books I think a lot of most of them are online um, he had like there was like sigils for each different entity and yeah and, and these sigils look a lot like our emojis on our phone coincidentally yeah when you go and piece them <laughs> together it's interesting um, and he's also got it in that book too he shows like the sigil for these different spirits and he shows kind of how they manifest themselves like how they look they don't all look human they all you mm -hmm. know you can use your imagination they all have completely different characteristics that are very unhuman yeah. um and it kind of goes back to John D. Like he was working with these kind of entities too, and like they're for a purpose. You want to influence somebody negatively, you work with this entity to do that. Mm -hmm. You want to influence somebody in a positive way, you got this other entity that you call for that. And he describes the ceremonial type summonings that they would have to call these creatures, and then like what who these creatures were and what they were all about. Yeah. And to them, it's very real. Like, this isn't just a fiction book that he wrote. Like, he was into, like, doing this, just as John Dee was. And just as a lot of our world leaders and celebrities are into to this very day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean... It's just really wild when you think about how much stock they put into... You know, this person, and Aleister Crowley, I think, like, when he died, he was he really died, like, a really kind of miserable life there at the very end of things. Yeah, <laughs> there's a story saying, like, his last words were, like, no, there must be a mistake, no! Like, <laughs> <coughs> there's a story out there 
whether how true it is or not. I don't know yeah. if it is true. It's pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, he was into working with these uh, demonic type forces, you know. And so it's said that when he died, it was a scary time for him, to say the least. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so, that's... I mean, and that kind of goes along with a lot of religious stories that you have success or you achieve things in this physical world through negative means, you may face some type of negative experience after this. Yeah. And to me, again, it's just vibration-based. If you're a low-vibe person, you're into fucking murdering people or being a dick to people, you're just a low-vibe person, you're going to... When you cross over, you're going to be attracting other things that are in that low vibe, that are mm -hmm. into violent and fear and anger. Yeah. If you're a happy, loving person, and you do happy, loving things throughout your life, you have a happy, loving vibe. When you cross over there, you're going to attract happy, loving situations and yeah. energies and entities. Yeah. yeah, that's a very interesting way to look at things on there too and that and as far as that we're talking about with um you know, these entities and forces and stuff and the vibration and whether or not they're demons or it's just a an energy of a projection of your own thought your fear. own thought for fear-based you know that's that's left to be said yet i guess <laughs> we'll find out when we uh cross the other side yeah i can't i mean i can say what other people yeah. seem to how they behave you know, again, we talk about Aleister Crowley summoning these yeah. other entities and stuff, but I've heard other points of view saying that they're all just mental projections yeah. of your own fear or something like that. Yeah, so, it's not really a uh, thing. You know, it's like the, the monster underneath the bed is, you know, the projection of your fear that something is yeah. underneath there and going to get you. And with all these, you know, big celebrities and government agencies being interested in the cult, it goes back even further than that, too. I mean, even the Nazis were doing their own occult yeah they had that castle with the black sun symbol mm -hmm. on the floor and i forget what the one guy's name that was really kind of heading up that but they were into occult practices and yeah. like basically trying to find out which aspects of ancient knowledge from different cultures were useful mm -hmm. and taking the best of each one and trying to use that to achieve their own means or achieve their own type of understanding yeah. of the nature of reality and guess where they all went after the war <laughs> nasa nasa Government. yeah, yeah. warner von braun the guy that started nasa yeah so along with jack parsons uh the other guy that started nasa and he was very into the occult look up jack parsons and his occult adventures yeah and uh yeah so again these people that these are like very important people of history kind of like i mean really into this they're heading nasa i mean those guys get 16 billion dollars for their next project all the time and all this money and look at look at them right i mean you got buzz aldrin you got the guy from noetic science you got all these important people around the world um believing in this stuff so yeah so again that's just another piece of the puzzle too i think yeah bring about the reality of the situation to people yeah and uh yeah so between all that and i mean yeah i mean there's also albert pike um is another source of information yeah albert pike to to. he was a i think he was a general in the confederate army but he was he's kind of the the main freemason like the father of modern freemasonry he kind of wrote mm -hmm. the book on modern 
Freemasonry. You can get it on Amazon. You can read it online. You don't even have to get the book. Uh, it's a long piece of work and kind of difficult to read. But yeah. In um, there, you'll find out that Freemasons, when they reach the top, they worship Lucifer. And you'll find out that they laugh at atheists, even though they try to tell some of the lower degrees that that might be the case. Or, mm -hmm. you know, they use atheistic beliefs to control people. Mm -hmm. But for them, it's different. Yeah, yeah, they, they, yeah, yeah, atheism is to them, you know, laughable. It's a, it's a source of control, and it takes away people's power. And again, Albert Pike, the main Freemason guy in history, writes about this in his book. This is his words, not ours. Here, so yeah. go read it yourself. Read about it, what he writes about Lucifer. Read it right. Read what he writes about atheism. Read what he writes about other spirits. Like it's all out there. Yeah. 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 So, anyways, I think uh, getting close to wrapping this one up. I think I one think of the so. main lessons here, though, that again, as I've gone through this journey and uh, you deal with different people with various beliefs, one kind of motto that I think has helped me get through that without too much friction is that is, is there's an old saying that goes, "There are many paths to the top of the mountain. Mm -hmm. The important thing is that you pick one." And you don't stomp around at the bottom of the mountain telling everybody else that they're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, that uh, I think is, has been very enlightening. You know, everybody's on their own soul journey. Mm -hmm. Everybody's going to learn different things in this time around. And some people won't and some people will. Yeah. If you're open-minded and you're somebody that just searches for the nature of reality with an open mind, I think uh, you're going to learn some secrets to the natures of reality. If you're somebody that's stuck in your beliefs and this is the only way and everybody else must be wrong, then you're going to be stuck in that for this lifetime and that's where you're going to be, you know, so. Yeah, you know, and it's one of those things, if you found yourself listening to this and there's similarities in your journey or where you're at, you know, like I said, take, take what you will from this podcast and the information that we've laid out here, you know, as Sean uh, said, there's many paths up the mountain, but we think that by you know, sharing a little bit of our experience and some of the things that helped us along the way and giving that information out to others, because we spent a lot of time researching and going down yeah. very, uh, very long um, nights of, of reading and researching and listening to interviews and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and anything and that you find in this conversation interesting, I encourage you to go explore that and not just take our word for yeah. it. Go look up what string theory says go get the book mind sight about the near-death experiences in the blind read the book it's not very long it's an easy pleasant read um what else do we talk about uh monroe institute bob monroe yeah. again you can listen to his books on youtube for free if you want or get the book or get the audio book um but yeah browsing your horizons and these are also tools i think you can use to one of the purposes of this podcast was to give people tools that they can use to help convince their partner or friend or whoever. And here's some evidence to the science-minded, materialistic, atheistic person Yeah, that's, to open their mind a little bit. Because that's the other thing, too, especially in the last two and a half years with everyone going through their own personal awakenings, whether it be, you know, they're, um, and they're with their SO and they're divided on politics or they're divided on you know the medical system or they're divided on spirituality you know and, and religion and someone wanting to um 
dive deeper into their their spiritual journey you know not everyone is going to be in a partnership where you know it's it you know you're like we're on this journey and you know we're we're on it together but not everyone has not someone. everybody's as lucky as us <laughs> not everyone is on that same journey and they're they're going to have a partner um that doesn't necessarily agree with them or it causes friction at home and I think these are really valid points to to use um, when speaking about it at home so that you can share some of this information because um, it is very eye-opening and uh, I do think we should come at it with an open mind because there's just so much that we don't know and in the you know age of information ignorance is a choice yep I think that's a good saying to go out on <laughs> the age of information Ignorance is a choice. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us again for another episode of Becoming Unfuckwithable. We hope this has helped you become unfuckwithable in life. And if you want to become unfuckwithable in the gym, don't forget to check out rocksolidnutrition.com. Our pre-pump is back in stock, colored with blue spirulina, fully dosed, third-party tested, no proprietary blends, Nothing but big pumps and a whole lot of rock solid in Games. the gym. <laughs> <laughs> but check it out at rocksolidnutrition.com. Thanks so much, guys, and thanks for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Becoming Unfuckwithable. If you believe you're unfuckwithable, go ahead and share this podcast. podcast.